Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The 1865 Match Report. Hello there and welcome to the 1865 Match Report with me, Rich Ferraro. And today is Monday, the 18th of April, Easter Monday. And happy Easter to you if you've been celebrating. Now, there's also another cause for celebration, which is that Forest bounced back from their Good Friday defeat. And they won 4-0 tonight against West Bromwich Albion at the City Ground. Forest are risen. Hallelujah. Let's first have a look at the team news. And there were two changes for Forest in today's starting lineup. So as we suspected, Keenan Davis is not only out, but he might well be out for the season. And so we saw uh, Philip Zinconagel and Sam Surridge come in. But the good news is that Scott McKenna was still able to continue in the first team. Uh, Lewis Crabbin was out due to illness. But there was also good news on the bench where Steve Cook was able to regain his place in the squad. Now, before we talk about the match from a Forest perspective, what I'd like to do is I'd like to introduce a West Bromwich perspective, because this might be a nice antidote to Steve Bruce's post-match interview. Hello, Nottingham Forest fans. It's Louis Bent here from the Baggies podcast, giving you my thoughts after Albion's 4-0 away drubbing at the city ground. Yeah, what a dreadful performance that was. I can't quite believe how badly that went I was hoping that we could maybe get a point or maybe even snatch a win uh, after our late late winner against Blackpool on Friday but yeah that was soon soon uh, put to bed by uh, a really awful bit of decision making from Darnell Furlong to body check Zinganakel and then go in with his hand for, for for the for the foul for the penalty and yeah that puts the game to bed for me I think we've you've got so many so much so much weak mentality in this squad so many times we've seen setbacks after setbacks and we've been unable to come back from them you knew as soon as that penalty was given and as soon as it was dispatched by Brennan Johnson it was a it was a great penalty um that that we weren't going to get back in this game from that point onwards and the referee there I say got that one right uh I don't think he got perhaps his next big call right which well, I say big call turns was quite a big small a, a small small call in in isolation but in context it was it turned out to be quite 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 big because he's completely um overruled the linesman when the linesman flagged for our throw in when it was it did come off Jed Spence and I just can't believe that he's given, he, he he's overruled his linesman like that. Yet, of course, there's a good minute before between that and the, the the goal actually being scored, which is really frustrating because the corner marking was absolutely dreadful, and I can't excuse that at all. But yeah, the fact that that, uh, that 
This is quite annoying, um, and uh, that seemed to rile our players up from from the minute that was given. And but they were too focused on that rather than actually marking their men at the corner, which was frustrating. It's a good delivery from Garner and and a, and, a, and a good header from Yates, even though he didn't really have to jump for it because, as I said, he was he was stood completely on his own for that one. Uh, yeah, but really a, a big you know and and. and big admirer of, of Forrest so far this season, especially the transition under Steve Cooper and going into what what might look like the playoffs for yourselves now, but maybe automatic promotion isn't too much of a long shot. I know Bournemouth have got those games in hand, but even if you just keep this momentum going, you've got a fantastic chance going into the playoffs. But yeah, from an Albion's perspective, we, we only we only wish we were up there and yeah, I do, I do admire Steve Cooper uh, a lot as a manager. So yeah, from our perspective, it's not been great. Uh, this evening, it's been pretty dire and we've managed to reach a, a real uh, new low point in the season after what has been a, a real spiralling season that keeps finding new low points, to be honest. But yeah, thank you very much for inviting me onto the podcast and all the best for the rest of the season. Cheers. OK, thank you very much, Louis, and uh, we wish you well. Um, Stephen, thank you for joining us today. Now, it was... Quite the first half, wasn't it? And, and and let's be honest, most of what we're going to be talking about in terms of action in this match took place in the first 45 minutes, didn't it? Yeah, Forrest pretty much had the game wrapped up before half-time. And as we're going to, going to go on and talk about, they were 3-0 up and cruising. And it was the perfect response to what happened on Good Friday to to come out and, and and put West Brom away so clinically early in the game, albeit helped by the penalty and the double yellow card and subsequent red for Darnell Furlong. Nevertheless, Forrest came into the game and did what they needed to do and and they were clinical. And that's that's all you can say really. And and it was, yeah, a perfect response to the disappointment of Friday and, and the defeat at Luton. Mm. Now, West Brom came into this match. I mean, they've been so patchy in terms of form since Steve Bruce has come in. He has got them playing better than they had been under Valerian Ishmael, but they'd been free falling. So it's very difficult to know what to expect from them. They've got a team packed full of Premier League players still. And I was a bit surprised to see them formation wise. They they started off playing what is basically an old fashioned five three two from the early nineties, wasn't it? Um with Colin Grant up front with Andy Carroll. And I wasn't quite sure what to make of that. But as you mentioned, it kind of became immaterial quite early on because within twenty minutes the entire shape of the game was changed. Louis was kind of quite effusive in saying, you know what? He had no arguments with it. Steve Bruce, as the away manager, he did have an argument with it. Um, the one thing you need here is a strong referee. It might not have changed the outcome of the game because they might have been better than us. But is it a penalty? Is it another yellow? And my answer to both of those questions is, yeah, damn right. Absolutely. He Not only is he putting his arm up in the box, he's lying down. So his arm is in a completely unnatural position. He's raising his arm. He's seen the shot coming in and he's deliberately deliberately blocking it. So what's the problem? Mm. Um, it's it's arguably a red card without the yellow card that comes before it. So I don't see how Steve Bruce can have any complaints about that. It's it's an obvious handball and, and thoroughly deserved in terms of a red card. Mm. Now... It was a penalty. 
what's interesting there actually is that although Furlong looked quite surprised when the red card was produced, he didn't seem to argue that much. The penalty, incidentally, was delayed for about a whole minute or so because there were players just standing around because there's no ball on the pitch. The ball had ended up in the crowd somewhere and, and hadn't been retrieved. Um, so they had to dig out another ball. Now, if you're the penalty taker, then the things that you don't want, you don't want an unnecessary delay. And you also don't want to have in your mind the fact that the last penalty you took, you you missed and in quite a soft way as well. And and both of those things had, a you know, were, were a factor for Brennan Johnson. Were you ever in doubt? What I will say for Brennan Johnson is that he handled that situation superbly. And it was a good opportunity for him to come back after the penalty that you referred to that was missed at Sheffield United with the, the kind of weak effort down the middle. And he's he's come in there in a circumstance where, yeah, that delay on the penalty can can make it very difficult for the for the player taking the spot kick. But he steps up, he takes a similar kind of run, that sort of jinking one side, then the other, and then the straight run. But he buries it into the bottom corner. He hits it so differently to the one at Sheffield United. It's in the corner with power. You can't argue with that. It's a superb penalty. Yeah, so two things I'd like to comment about there. So. I'll start at the end, if that's okay. Um, David Button, in the goal, he went the right way, but he wasn't going to get there because Johnson hit it low into the side netting, into the bottom corner. And so, you know, people always say, don't they, if if it's hitting the side netting, then it's a good penalty. And the other thing I would say is that I don't know how deliberate this was, but while we're waiting for a new ball to be thrown onto the pitch... Brennan actually stood a little bit away. He didn't wait on the penalty spot because how many times have we seen that where you've got the player waiting on the penalty spot to take it and then he's got the defenders and the goalkeeper in his ear. The referee tends to not not have any problem with that. And when he did receive the ball, David Button did go up to him and try and have a few words in Brennan's ear and Brennan just kind of brushed it off, didn't he? He did and it just shows the, the confidence that Brennan's got for a young player in that situation, a lot of young players would be intimidated by those by those players around him and by David Button trying to, to get into his head a bit. But Brennan showing his confidence and his belief there in his ability to to block everything else and, and take the penalty and put it away. And that was that was a that was really good to see. Just shows a bit of a maturity in his game and I think as well, overall, just stepping up after missing the penalty at Sheffield United to come back and then score his next one. It's another good test of his character and another good sign that he has got a lot of character and a lot of belief that's really important to his game. And and also he's took the time to learn from what he got wrong in that in that match against Sheffield United, where he took the same penalty as he'd done before. So the ability to mix it up is really important if you're taking a penalty, as as our very own Lewis Graben has discovered as well over the last couple of years. <laughs> um, it wasn't very long before Forrest had a second goal. Now, there's a couple of things I want to talk about in the interim. So with the red card, what West Brom did is they went from a 5-3-2 to a 4-1-4-1 lineup. And they moved uh, Dara O'Shea from right centre-back to being at right-back. And 
it meant that Adam Reach was playing on the right wing and Carlin Grant was playing on the left of midfield and Andy Carroll was up front by himself. So that's the first thing. And I may come back to that a little bit later. The second thing is that there was a bit of controversy leading up to the second goal. Now, it was over the far side, so I'm not in a position to comment. It was in front of the Peter Taylor stand, and I sit right over the other side, so I'm not in a position to comment about what happened here. But there seems to be some dispute over a, free, over a, a throw-in, doesn't there? Yeah, so the... The ball actually comes off Jed Spence. He goes in for a 50-50 with a West Brom player. The ball deflects away off Jed Spence. The the linesman gives the decision West Brom's way, which is fine and the correct decision. The referee gives it West Brom's way, so it seems initially. But it appears that the fourth official gives it in Forrest's favour. Now, both of them, or the referee, has decided to go with the fourth official. So, incorrectly gives Forrest the throw-in, but also, on top of that, doesn't give West Brom the opportunity to get set for the free kick. Play is allowed to continue immediately. And that's where Forrest break up field and win the corner from which Ryan Yates scores the second goal. So, yeah, if, if Forrest were on the receiving end of that, I'd be massively frustrated because that is, again, another incident where you've got linesmen, officials, and in this case, the fourth official coming together, but actually making the wrong call. Now, for the only, re- the only person who can explain why he gave it in the end is the referee. Why listen to the fourth official when the linesman's essentially backed you up? He's the only one who can say how or why the, the fourth official changed his mind. It reminded me in, in, in a funny way. Do you remember a few seasons ago at St Andrews? I think Stuart Pearce was manager and we had a, a game away at Birmingham where Britta Sombolonga was sent off. But he was sent off essentially by the fourth official. He was the only one who saw the incident. The referee didn't see it, nor did the linesman. And it was the fourth official who gave the decision. There was a little bit of that going on tonight. A very rare occurrence where you actually see the fourth official having the final say. Well, it's not quite Zinedine Zidane in 2006, though, is it? <laughs> and, 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 and the point being, if we go back to Friday, so Forrest, obviously, there are a couple of contentious decisions. Now, the difference there is that those were decisions made about something that's happening there and then, whereas West Brom conceding the second goal was a good 30 seconds to a minute later. And when the corner was awarded, um, after Zinkenagel had tried to have a go at goal and it had deflected, so Forrest won a corner. They'd had a shot on goal. They won a corner. And at that point, I noticed Jake Livermore going up to the referee and absolutely blowing his top. Now, it sounds as though the, the throw-in was wrongly awarded. But if I'm a West Brom fan and I see my captain, my most experienced player in a team full of Premier League standard players who played at the top level, and I see him losing, losing his head like that, and I see the team have lost their head, and then as a direct result of that corner, Ryan, I mean, great delivery by Jimmy Garner and absolutely thumping header by Ryan Yates. It, as Before we started recording, I was saying it reminded me of some of the headers that Colin Cooper scored in the 1990s. Yeah. 
So no arguments there. But if I'm a West Brom fan, I might be aggrieved about the decision, but I'm going to be really, really peed off about the fact that my team have lost their heads. What do you think? Yeah, they were poor in the aftermath of that. There's there's no excuse for switching off in the way that you did. And, and complaining to the referee in that situation is not going to change the course of play or the decision at that point. What's done is done. The ball's out of play. Go and set yourselves up for the corner and, and the game carries on. So, yeah, the Forest's second goal, the, the poor decision isn't the reason why Forest scored the goal. It helps them a little bit. But the reason they score the second goal is, one, it's a superb header from Ryan Yates, but two, West Brom's switch off and they're, they're affected too much by what's happened 30 seconds before. They're more wound up by the incorrect decision than actually setting themselves and dealing with the corner. Mm. Not that we're complaining, of course, but no, it's, it's a poor show from them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, okay, so then West Brom tried to make a substitution to make a tactical change. And this, again, is maybe a reflection of... I mean, this is a Forest podcast, so it's, <laughs> I don't want to be talking about West Brom all the time. But again, it, it, it speaks volumes. Carlin Grant was sacrificed. He'd moved to the left wing um, as West Brom went to this 4 4 um, formation. And he was taken off so Adam Reach could go to the left wing and Taylor Gardner-Hitman could come on on the right wing. And Carlin Grant basically had what I can only describe as a massive mard about it. And he had a go at his manager on the touchline and he sat in the dugout and West Brom went for this, uh, you know, substitution. Now, that in itself is amusing for us as home fans watching an away team crumbling. There was a really unusual incident involving Taylor Gardner-Hickman, which happened on about 38, 39 minutes. It was a very curious moment and... At first, what I need to say is that our best wishes go to the person who was affected because there was a man in the crowd who took um, Gordon Hickman out of frustration, kicked the ball. He meant to hit it against the advertising hoardings. It went into the crowd, hit uh, a chap in the face. The poor chap was led away by uh, medical staff. So we send our best wishes to him. Um, Stephen, you will you'll have seen this better than I have because, again, I kind of missed the actual incident at the time because I was paying attention to the match, if you see what I mean. Um, talk us through it. Yeah, the, um, the it's a strange one because I, th- I think at this point it was just West Brom, their heads had completely gone and the, the ball hadn't run for, for, for Gardner Hickman and it's it just pure frustration. He, he lashes out the balls there and it, yeah, like you say, instead of, bashing it into the the hoardings, he's ended up hammering it into the crowd and, and catching somebody in the face. And yeah, not very good. And it, it's one of those, they show us a replay of it and he kicks the ball and with it, within a half split second, he's got his hand up apologising to the fan before it's even hit him. So he knows he's done wrong in the, in the instant. Um, and one of his teammates as well, I forget who it is now, came over immediately and was also apologising. But you can't be lashing out like that. It's just a it's a poor show. Yeah, I mean, in fairness, I think it was not malicious. It was that he he was frustrated 
And he was very, very apologetic. And he tried to go over to the crowd to apologise properly. And and I think that's the right thing to do. So I'm not going to vilify. He's a young player who made a mistake. Um, obviously, the crowd were going mental. Forest players were going mental. But I think that's kind of, dare I say it, that's a sign of the fact of how much Forrest were on top because they knew that the players knew that they could use this to kind of really get under the skin of West Brom even more. You can't allow yourself to to get wound up like that. But from Forrest's point of view, what Forrest had to do at that point, and I think Steve Hodge mentioned this on the radio, was Forrest, just keep your heads, rise above it and just be professional and, and go on and see the game out, which is exactly what Forrest did. So, Whilst everybody in the QPR in the um, West Brom ranks were losing their heads, Boris could just keep theirs and and use that to their advantage in many ways. Just keep the cool heads and do the professional job and see the game out. Yeah, um, and it's worth saying that. I mean, I mean, it sounds obvious, but when Forest, especially when they got that second goal from Ryan Yates after twenty, was it twenty something minutes, twenty three minutes, was it something like that? Yeah. Um, Against 10 men, look, let's be honest, there was, there was only one team in it. Forrest were absolutely in control. So that frustration from West Brom tells a story. Let's m- skip forward to just before half-time, because we thought, OK, we're going at half-time, 2 nil up. And Forrest were attacking down the left-hand side, and there's a throw-in. It should have been a corner, as far as I could tell. From where I was, it looks as if it had gone out for a corner. But the ref awarded a throw-in, caused a bit of consternation. Colback took the throw-in. Uh, the ball popped back to him. I mean, let's let's just describe it to our listeners who may not have seen it yet. It's a moment of pure inspiration. Is the only way I can describe it. Now, he he takes the throw in. I think it's Jimmy Garner who who's across on the left hand side. He he sort of lifts the ball back into Colback's path, but he runs onto it and immediately without breaking stride and unleashes this volley from the far left touchline. Whether he meant to cross it or not, I think only he can tell us, but he hits the ball and he sort of, it swerves away off his foot. So it bends and swerves towards the back post and loops over David Button. I think it's just a ginger pillow at his best. He sees him and he sees the gap and takes it. The way that that ball travels and, and flies into the far corner, looping over the goalkeeper. It's an incredible moment. And yeah, for, for everybody in the stadium, that, that's a fantastic goal to see. And yeah, probably the goal of the season. I, I dare I say it's in the entire league, let alone purely for Forest. Those are big words, Stephen. Um, right. Firstly, I will say that I, I actually literally jumped out of my seat, which usually, you know, you stand up and you punch the air and you and you scream and you applaud and everything. I literally jumped out of my seat. But I will also say that um, 20 odd years ago in a match, uh, a work football match, I did a similar thing. I was on the left hand side of the box. I went to cross it in. It looked like a perfectly flighted shot into the top corner. Of course, I took the adulation and afterwards, <laughs> then I admitted it. You know what? It was supposed to be a cross. I was aiming for the back stick. Looking at Colback's body shape. All right. I'm not comparing myself to the ginger pillow. OK, but looking at Colback's body shape and also looking, looking at the way he immediately 
responded as soon as he as soon as the ball went in. There's no way on this earth he meant to do that, no matter what he might have said in the post-match interview. I have just watched it back again. And if you look at the moment he's hit the ball, his body shape, he's all, he's facing across the penalty area. He's not facing towards the goal. So mm. he hits it. He's looking one way and then the ball swerves off to the left and, and flies into the far corner. So perhaps he didn't mean it, but my word, what a goal. He could not, he could try and mean that shot what a hundred times over and not hit it as perfectly as that. Absolutely brilliant. Okay, so uh, quite an an exciting moment there to finish the first half and Forrest went in 3-0 up at the break. You're listening to 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast. As I said at the start of this podcast, we're not going to be able to spend as long dwelling on the second half, mainly because there's not as much to dwell on. Um, what was really surprising to me, Stephen, so West Brom had lost their heads in the first half. We, we agree that. I think as far as Steve Bruce was concerned, his main priority was to get his team in and to get them to regain their composure. What was surprising to me is that if you're 3-0 down with 10 men away from home, there's two things you can do. Number one is you can say, right, if we can have damage limitation, keep it to 3-0, and that's... That's going to be, you know, just doing what we can to make sure it doesn't become too embarrassing. The other thing you can do is you can say, you know what? We're man down. We're three goals down. Let's just express ourselves and see what happens. I think it's definitely fair to say that Steve Bruce, being Steve Bruce, chose the former option. And I can imagine that this is why Newcastle fans hate him. Yeah, it was um, it was very much safety first, wasn't it? At that point, with nothing to lose, I think he was more about saving face rather than actually just having a go and seeing what happens, especially when you've got players with the quality of West Brom on the pitch. You would expect a bit more from them in an attacking sense. But yeah, they uh, they kind of they kept things tight and they probably improved in that regard, but never really offered a great deal in terms of, I don't, well, I don't remember Samba even touching the ball apart from maybe when it was rolled back to him by one of his defenders. There was never any danger of Forrest being under threat. I think there was one lofted cross, which um, maybe went, um, Samba had to retrieve from underneath his bar. But um, I think that, yeah, I'm just looking at the, uh, the official match stats here. Shots 17 by Forrest, Six on target, six off target. I don't know what happened to the other five. And um, West Brom, total shots, one. Zero on target, zero off target. So I don't know where that shot went. Maybe it's <laughs> that one that Sam, but, but you know, I, I think West Brom would have come out of this match with a negative XG, to be perfectly honest. Mm. And they basically played with nine men in their own, in their own um, half. But Steve Cooper said in his Radio Nottingham interview... I asked the players to play a certain way. And even when you're 3-0 up and you're playing against 10 men and they're making it difficult for you, I still need them to do that. And I think on the whole, they did. Forrest still, it's that old, age-old phrase, isn't it? Game management. I think Forrest was still pretty much in control. Although, by heck, it was dull to watch. It was. Um, the flip side of that, though, is given the... 
fixtures to come and given how much of a battle Good Friday was at Luton, I'm quite glad that West Brom put their feet up a little bit and just played it really safe because the game was a, the game petered out to a, a slower pace, not too much happening. And from a purely Forest point of view, it actually wasn't too bad. It allowed Steve Cook to, to make a bit of a comeback from injury coming off the bench for Scott McKenna. It allowed Richie Luria to come on as well and make his debut. And that was probably the perfect environment for those players to come on. And it's, um, yeah, I think it allowed Forrest to play out the rest of the game without overexerting themselves, which given the fixtures and given the, given what's at stake in the next couple of weeks and the, the next couple of games could be a bit of a blessing mm. when you look at it, the bigger picture. Yeah. I mean, I, I you've echoed exactly what I was thinking. I, I spent most of that second half just thinking, okay, there's nothing to report. And then I found it myself thinking, well, I guess we've got Cook and Larry are on the pitch and therefore those are things to report. Incidentally, Rich Larrier is the tiniest grown-up man I've ever seen. He's <laughs> he's like a little miniature. He makes Robbie Earnshaw look like a giant. <laughs> he um he he looked to get involved, didn't he? Nobody seemed to be passing the ball to him, but he seemed quite busy down that right-hand side. Whether he was a bit too eager to get into position and, and perhaps found himself offside once or twice, but the ball didn't seem to come his way, but he, he looked keen to get involved and trying to to offer an outlet down that right-hand side, which is, given we haven't seen a, too much of him tonight, I think that's a little encouraging sign that perhaps he, we're seeing that he's a player who is very happy to support the attack, which is obviously very important to the way that Forrest play. OK, so having said that, uh, the most exciting thing that happened was Forrest made some substitutions. Also, uh, uh, a mention for Cafu, who came on and didn't touch the ball as much as he would have liked. Um, so the players who came off, obviously Jed Spence came off, uh, Yates came off for Cafu, and um, Cook came on for McKenna. And, and like you said, it's a good opportunity to give, especially with McKenna, but with the other two, give them a rest, bearing in mind that they've played a lot of minutes and they're wholehearted players. But fortunately, we had something else to cheer. So with more or less, in more or less the last minute of the match, um, in sort of the end of stoppage time, Forrest did get another goal. So it was 90 plus three minutes and it was Sam Surridge. And we've seen Surridge. He is obviously somebody who works on his finishing. And this was evident once again, wasn't it? Yeah, this was a, a superb first-time finish, and he he just knows where the net is. If you watch the goal back and you look at the angle, which is taken from the Trent end, he doesn't even look at the goal when he's preparing to take the shot. It's like he knows exactly where it is. All he's concentrating on is getting the right connection on the ball, and he rifles it into the roof of the net, and it's a great finish. I think a word on this as well, Philip Zinkenagel with a lovely little ball through on his left foot, threaded through to perfection for Surridge to run on to first time. And he makes no mistake. And it was a lovely whipped finish, uh, whipped finish high and past the goalkeeper with the instep, really well taken. And I think it, on top of that as well, to come back to Zinkenagel, he showed tonight what we missed on Saturday where he didn't start. And we had Lewis Graben in the team. I think, Zinconagel's ability to, to carry the ball through the midfield and between the midfield and attack and uh, 
and hold on to the ball in those tighter situations. And then this ability to thread the ball through if needed to to find a teammate. We've missed, we certainly missed that at Kenilworth Road and it was good to see him back in the team and delivering tonight because I think he showed there exactly what he brings to this side that grabbing for all of his qualities, I don't think he gives you that when he plays in that number 10 role or he's playing alongside another striker as he did at Luton. Yeah, I, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because uh, I'm one of the fans who's often expressed their frustration with Zink, especially sometimes he wants one or two touches too many or he seems to slow it down. And there were times that he did that even tonight. But he did, he, like you say, he showed what we why we missed him at Kenilworth Road. So um, that was good to see. Um, let's just very, very briefly talk about where that leaves us in terms of uh, our position in the table. So Forrest, we couldn't go up a position in the table due to earlier results. Huddersfield and Luton both won. So it means that Forrest are still in fifth position, uh, 41 games played, 70 points on the board. Next up is um, uh, in the table is Luton on 43 games played, 71 points. Huddersfield, 43 games, 73 points. Bournemouth, 41 games, 77 points. So Bournemouth are playing Fulham on Saturday. And Steve Hodge made a very interesting point, which isn't just that it's a, you know, a top two encounter and therefore it could swing either way. But also there's going to be a lot of Fulham players who got dropped by Scott Parker as soon as they went up to the Premier League, who might just, you know, there might just be a little bit of bad blood there. So who knows? We don't know what's going to happen. And of course, the the classic phrase is that you can only control the things that, that are within your remit, I suppose. Um, so if Forrest can beat Peterborough and Fulham get one over on Bournemouth, and then, of course, we've still got the head-to-head against Bournemouth. Right, I'm playing devil's advocate here, but is second place still actually possible? I think it's possible. I don't want to get carried away either, but I think it's absolutely possible. Because you look at how the fixtures fall, there's every chance that Bournemouth play Fulham on Saturday and get beaten by them. Given that Fulham have... um, stuttered a bit in recent weeks and they've not got it over the line yet promotion that's the opportunity for them to wrap it up and and get themselves promoted who better to do it than against the team who's chasing them down in second place uh, yeah Forrester at Peterborough on Saturday a very winnable game with all respect to Peterborough suddenly it's four points and I've said it all along if Forrest can be within striking distance of Bournemouth come the head-to-head match Six points, potentially with goal difference, because Forrest's goal difference, as it stands, is only two worse than Bournemouth. Or four points, or even better than four points off Bournemouth. It's absolutely on. And all you can do is add that pressure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Just a quick footnote on that. Um, Results today as well. So although Luton and Huddersfield both won, the results today were generally pretty favourable in terms of the chasing pack losing ground. And I think that's just as important because the first thing that Forrest need to do is actually secure a place in the playoffs before we worry about anything else. Am I right? All Forrest can do is get take as many points as they can, hopefully three against Peterborough, get into the playoffs and then worry about anything else after that. 
Okay, great. So thank you very much to Stephen Topless. Thank you to uh, Louis from the Baggies podcast. Thank you to the 1865 podcast who's been providing studio assistance in the background. And most of all, thank you to you, listener, for joining us on what's been a very satisfactory evening at the City Ground. As you can hear, my voice has gone a bit croaky. It was that Ryan Yates header that did it. Podcast Network.